This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is, of course, an England football podcast. And you'd be surprised just how many England teams there are. Obviously, we regularly talk of the seniors or the lionesses. And of course, there are the under 21s and the youth teams. But recently, I've been digging into some of the other teams and hope to bring you some features on them very soon. It's just doing the research and finding the right people to talk with, to hopefully make it something you want to listen to, you know, maybe learn something from. In fact, here's something. A Scottish England manager? Wouldn't happen. Couldn't happen. Could it? Well, it's happened, and he's been in place for some time now. My chat with him is coming up. I'd also like to give a shout-out to an organisation... Football Kit Box, a monthly football kit subscription service. They do a monthly newsletter that they send out of their kit boxes and on it they give a plug to a different podcast. And they've kindly chosen a Three Lions podcast this time. No money has changed hands for this. They approached me. So I thought it only be right to reciprocate. You can find them on Twitter at Football Kit Box and also at footballkitbox.com. A monthly subscription where you can get a random football shirt and various other pieces of football paraphernalia. If that's your thing, tell them you heard of them through the podcast here. No real news to tell you that you probably don't know already. Jordan Henderson has a Premier League winner's medal, as do Trent Alexander-Arnold, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and Joe Gomez. Of course, congratulations go to Liverpool on winning the title. Raheem Sterling has been on the score sheet, as has Phil Foden. Harry Kane has tucked a few away too, and Danny Ings has carried on as if there's been no break whatsoever. Will he get another opportunity in Gareth's next squad? If you listened to the last podcast, you would have heard my chat with Tom Gale, a broadcast journalist, about what it's like to be within a football stadium at the moment. In fact, Gareth Southgate actually made the decision to stay away from Premier League grounds when football resumed, choosing to watch matches at home as he considered it non-essential that he was there. And as general life evolves, I wonder how he'll choose to watch games in the future. Will he attend so many? Anyway, on to the main subject of this episode. As I said at the beginning, there are lots of different England sides, and I was fortunate recently to have a chat with Owen Coyle Jr., head coach of the England amputee side. Hope you enjoy this one. Now, as we all know, football comes in all shapes and sizes. We know the 11-a-side game also well. Five-a-side, six-a-side, futsal... We've spoken with Dan English before, captain of the England blind team. Yeah, there's, there's walking football too. But recently, I saw an episode of ITV's Ninja Warrior with a, uh, with a contestant called Martin Heald. Uh, he had one leg, 
And I think like many, when someone like this comes up on our screen, we'll kind of sit up and take a little bit more notice. And then they went on to say, Martin is a member of the England amputee football team. I had to investigate a little bit more. I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast, Owen Coyle Jr., current head coach of the England amputee side. Owen, hello. Morning, Russell. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Very good. Thanks all for having me on. Hey, you're welcome. Current head coach of the England amputee side, eh? How long has yeah. this been? Uh, how long have you been in that position? Um, I've been in the position now for, for just over four years, um, so I'm now uh, 23 years old, so it's quite, a, I suppose, a, a different, unique circumstance of being quite a young head coach. Um, fortunate to take the role on when I was 19 years old um, and, and very fortunately still in the position that I'm in and the programme's uh, developing all the time, it's progressing all the time and um, as we alluded to in a brief chat before we start the podcast, quite a unique circumstance and having a Scotsman in charge of a, of an English side but, uh, but something I'm very honoured and, and fortunate to be in the position to do. Well that's right, I mean Owen Coyle Jr, the name and accent may sound familiar, your dad is of course Owen Coyle, former Premiership manager for, was it Burnley, Bolton, Blackburn? Um, yeah, Burnley yeah. and Bolton in the Premier League and then yeah, Blackburn and Wigan um, and, and, around, and, and around some of the other divisions. And he's, I believe he's, is he's currently in India for the Indian Super League? Yeah, he's, he was over at Chennai in last year um, and they've they done very well. He was there, uh, took the team on the bottom of the league, but actually managed to reach the, the finals. Um, it's a bit like the MLS, a playoff system, um, and they, they very narrowly lost out to Atletico Cucurta in the final. So he went over the experience that for a season, which was which was completely different, but equally, uh, as most football is, in different cultures and places, um, an incredible experience. I'm sure. Um, well, I mean, as you say, a, a Scotsman managing the England side yourself, you, you must have been influenced I guess by your father yeah yeah most definitely I think uh, I think like most children growing up the, the aspiration is to become a, a professional footballer and that's what people like to do and, and, and young children like to dream of and think and, and I was no different to that but at quite a young age I came to the realisation that, that that wasn't to be um, and I wanted to go into still something within football tribute to old footballs as you can probably imagine from the, the family background football's all we really know and live for um, so that's what I decided to kind of set my, my sights upon in terms of the coaching uh, side of life and, and at 15 um, I left school um, and, and went in and started learning about coaching and, and very fortunate to work uh, within Lancashire Football Association to gain a great experience in doing that and even on the grassroots level of some development work um, and, and slowly just progress to, to the place I'm at now. So when uh, you, you approached or were approached to the, the England amputee side, being a, being a Scotsman, did you have some, some odd looks or some odd conversations? How, how did it all go? I mean, were, were you nervous or, about it? I mean, I was very fortunate. Um, at the age of 16, I got invited just to come up and see what it was all about. Um, and at that time, it was a gentleman called Pete Wilde, who was the current FC Halifax town manager. Um, and Pete was the head coach at the time. And Pete just invited me up to see what it was about and, and just learn about the sport. Um, as you've kind of alluded to, it is, it is the same as mainstream football in many ways, but it does have its different laws of the game change. It's got different format changes, which I'm sure we'll speak a little bit more on um, shortly. But but really from there, fell in love with the game, thought it was incredible. Um, a little bit like yourself, Russell, when you see somebody with one leg doing what they're doing, um, it is, is marvellous. Um, and you want to learn a little bit more about it. You, you want to see a little bit more of it. And then that's exactly what I've done. 
um, and, and very fortunate then to gradually build into a position uh, within within the team at that time um, as just a, a supporting coach um, before eventually moving on to becoming the uh, the head coach of, of the team, obviously, a few years after. Are the, the amputee side, are they affiliated to the FA in any way? Uh, they're not. They're not. Um, we were supported from the FA up until uh, 2006, um, and and that support was uh, was stopped just just through a lack of funding uh, for the team at the time, um, a lack of participation levels as well, um, and a number of other things that that just wasn't in place in terms of infrastructure of the sport. Um, and really, since then, the sport's grown and and developed to a point that that we're now. And considered one of one of the strongest and permanent sports in the country, I would say. Um, and and obviously we're we're very very fortunate to work closely with some of the other um other impairment specific teams, as you as you alluded to, with the blind team, um and and, and the torture team, uh, visually impaired. Obviously, there's a whole host of teams out there that are now playing uh, disability football, which is incredible. But yeah, at, at this moment in time, we're we're solely independent. We're a charity. Uh, we fundraise to go to all the trips and tournaments that we attend. Um, we need to compete against professional teams out there who are fully funded by their FAs and their governments, um, but in our case, we're not. I see. So, I mean, what, what sort of things do you do to, to fundraise for, for these trips and, and where do you go? Yeah, I mean, it's a constant battle, truth be told, Russell, because some of the players have been involved in the programme for over 10 years now um, and, and you'll see it on social platforms, I'm sure, with uh, friends and family that we've all got on there. Somebody will go do a GoFundMe page or some sort of fundraising event for maybe a walk, a climb, a run that they're doing. Um, but if that was to happen every every year, you'd maybe get a little bit tired of trying mm. to maybe to donate because you think it's the same thing over and over again. And, and that's how it is for our players. They're going back to the same types of people each year to ask for that financial support to make sure they can they can go and represent the country at major tournaments. And when, when we go there, we're, we're not by means making the numbers up. We finished second at European Championships in 2017. Uh, we played in front of 42,000 fans at Besiktas' Vodafone Arena um, and fell, fell marginally short, losing 2-1 in that final. Uh, so we're considered one of the best in Europe. And, and again, we're sixth in the world, um, looking to, to progress and become better on both fronts. Um, but yeah, it, it's a real challenge financially for the players and the staff to get their funding in, but but we approach like any organisation, we approach businesses and look for sponsorship um, and we try and do a little bit more to, to coax companies in to try and help these athletes and players out and we've got some tremendous sponsors and supporters, Simply Business, Adidas uh, have come on board recently, supporters Mark Harrod, Complete Care Shop, there's a, there's a million and one different providers out there, our, our home where we train at Receive College in Nantwich, um, all do above and beyond to, to help us out. Yeah, I mean you, you mentioned being six in the world there um at the moment i i had a look on your website the eafa.co.uk and you've got some of the results um from previous games and you say was it you came second yeah. in, in turkey in in istanbul uh for the european championships that must have been some some occasion as i say being being in front of was it forty two thousand? you said yeah that's correct so yeah forty two thousand. I mean that that's a, an amazing achievement to to come second place and to have that many people sort of come to watch a a game that perhaps they weren't so familiar with. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, that was my first major tournament that I attended with the team back in 2017. Uh, we took the team on in late uh, 2016 um, and, and obviously from there uh, went to the European Championships that following year. And I think the, the, the expectation behind us with the three or four years that maybe we hadn't done 
what we expected to do on an international front. Uh, we had a good World Cup in 2014, um, but after that, um, when Pete stepped down, there was a real, um, I suppose, kind of handing over of the team um, to a few other people who, who worked their socks off to try and maintain that level. And then it was a challenge, but we came out the other side of that and, as we said, went to the Euros in 2017 and, and really showed what we're all about again and performed. But the, alluding to the 42,000 fans in, in countries like Turkey, uh, Russia, Poland, for instance, the, the sport is pretty big. Not everybody, but a lot of people will be aware of amputee football. It's not, I suppose, as strange and unique as, as you would have it in, here in England. You, you walk down the street and if you had to survey 100 people and ask if they heard of amputee football, I'd be saying probably about anywhere between 95 and 100 of them will be saying, no, they haven't. Mm. Uh, whereas, whereas over in, in these countries, I mean, Robert Lewandowski is the ambassador for the Polish team um, and they appear on all the sports drinks across the country. Their games are televised. Uh, Turkey have their own match of the day-esque highlights programme for the wow. league over there. Um, and as I said, within 24 hours notice when they made it to that final, they put it in all the TV stations saying the Turkish national team um, are, are going to be in the final at Vodafone Park tomorrow. It's going to be broadcast live on their equivalent of BBC or ITV. Um, and there, there was millions of viewers watching the game and there was 42,000 in the stadium. And that's just, the, I suppose, the differences somewhat in, in the way that they, they get behind different sports over there. And I think particularly some of these countries and in, in particular Turkey are very, very... Um, very, very proud of the nation, and um, like we are here in England and um, in the UK generally. But I just feel there's maybe an extra level to that in terms of the the extremes that they would go to to support. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this year is has been a uh, a challenging year for everyone, and I, I believe was it 2020 was supposed to be a tournament in Krakow in Poland, was there? Yeah, 2020 it was going to be the European Championship again um, so obviously the last one being the one we just alluded to and um, mm. so that would that would have been the the opportunity I suppose to put the put the the, the wrong right at that tournament um, and, and hopefully go one better and actually win it uh, but as I said just because of everything that's currently happening with the current climate we've had to it's been pushed back to 2021 so it'll still take place in Krakow um, and if truth be told we've got a lot of new young players coming through the system and um, a lot of really exciting budding talent and that 12 months development actually might serve them really really well to to go in and take that extra step to to hopefully achieve in success okay well we'll wish you all the very best with that i mean did you have to qualify for that or is it a a set of nations that are already chosen to play yeah, so it's based off a ranking system. Um, mm. So there wasn't a qualification process as such, a little bit like mainstream that you've got a group and things like that, but it's based off previous tournaments and other fixtures and many tournaments that you play across the, across the year. Uh, so very fortunate that we're ranked within one of the top seeds um, in that uh, against currently still ranked second in Europe. Uh, so we've drawn France, Azerbaijan and Greece in the group, uh, which we're, we're really looking forward to. So, I mean, tell us about the game, how does it differ from, from the 11-a-side game that, that we know and, and what, what sort of the, the rules that we should know about? Yeah, so in terms of the, the simple format of the game, the game 7v7, so instead of the 11v11 game, it's, it's a smaller version of it, um, which is probably more familiar to the average uh, person because you've got so many 7-a-side leagues and teams that, that play recreationally across the country. Um, so the game, game 7v7, uh, games are 50 minutes long, so two 25-minute halves, um, and within each of those halves, you can have a one-minute timeout uh, just to have a bit of a, 
a quick chat, get some fluid on board, almost like a water break, I suppose, uh, within mm. that and give some tactical information if needs be uh, within that one minute break. So you can have one of them in either half. Substitutes are unlimited. Um, so you've got um, rolling substitutions, so you can make so many substitutions at any given point. Uh, the squad sizes, you can have up to 13 players, so obviously seven on the field and the rest of the squad on the substitutes bench that, that as I mentioned before, can, can roll on and roll off as you will. Um, and then other key rules that, that's outside of that is around the, uh, crutches. All players play um, on one leg on crutches, so some players will have a stump um, so the, the other leg that, that obviously has been had an amputation or has got a limb deficiency, um, there will still be maybe a residual limb of some sort left on that side, but they're not allowed to use that stump to play. So they must just play off the one pr- predominant leg okay. um, and, and with the crutches. So no prosthetics allowed at international level. Um, it's all crutch based on one leg and goalkeepers on the other side um, are upper body. Amputee, amputees are have an upper body limb deficiency so they play again with just a one one arm um, and if they've got a residual limb on the other side then that gets tucked into their jersey um, and they can just use their one arm to save um, so that's the kind of the way the, the squads are made up and then just touching on some of the, the rules if the crutch touches the ball it's classed as an extension of the arm if it's done intentionally. So mm. again, like like, like football now, um, if, if the ball hits it, it's pretty much a free kick, a handball. The only difference to that is we do need to be a little bit more considerate within the sport because sometimes you can't do anything at all to get yourself out of the, the way with yes. obviously two extra uh, pieces of equipment having to use. And then other things, again, if it hits that residual limb, that's classed as a stump ball, similar to handball, so it'd be a free kick or a penalty, depending on the area that happens in. Um, and again, that that's the reason for that, is, as you imagine, with the stump and the crutches, you can use that to make your body bigger and gain an advantage in key areas of the pitch by using body parts that you shouldn't. And and that's really the, the main ones. It's kick-ins instead of throw-ins. Um, and then outside of that, the goalkeeper can't leave the box because he's on two working legs. And some of the players that are our goalkeepers, for instance, our goalkeeper, Gary Maheineke, who's a fantastic football. I think Gary played step four up until um, maybe six or seven years ago. So as you know, appreciate with his feet outfield would be at a massive advantage yeah. if he was able to move around the pitch. Um, so they must be locked into the into the box. And that, that's the main adaptions to the game, which is quite a number of things. But I think if you were to watch it first time on YouTube, you'd be you'd be blown away. And there's actually so many similarities uh, to the mainstream game that you you'd pick up on. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. I had a uh, a quick watch of a couple of the the YouTube videos, and it's it's just mind blowing. It's, it's amazing stuff. What what can be done? Although I, I I was sort of thinking in my mind, and we we all know about players with with preferred left feet and and right feet, and and I thought, is that could could that be applied to to players from the the amputee team, like with with stronger left feet or, or right foot? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, we've got quite a a very reason why people are in the team uh, so some of the players have had a limb deficiency or amputation from buff others have had an amputation at some point throughout their life um, and, and because of that then obviously becomes different ways and, and means to try and coach somebody to become an amputee footballer and what I mean by that if you've got a child um, for example we've got a player who's 16 years old um, one of the budding talents at the moment Jamie Oakey who lives in Blackpool um, and Jamie's been a, an amputee from birth 
and so he's always grown up playing on his left foot so he's been very fortunate that he's had that in terms of football fortunate that he's had 16 years of his life that he's just practiced on that one foot uh, the difference being if I was to lose my leg just now and there's players in the team that are similar to this um, I'm, I'm very right footed um, so if I was to lose my right leg I would have to retrain my whole body and brain to play off my left um, which then becomes a real challenge and a real <laughs> frustration as well in the early parts of playing the sport because you're so used to doing what you, you do on that right and you still you speak to the players and some of them say in their early years when they start off they still try and swing their right leg even though it may not be there or they're swinging their stump at things instead of actually just playing off, off the, the leg you'd expect them to because again in terms of the way the brain's trained the brain's still thinking it's there to be used when, when it isn't um, so there's a lot of work that's done on that um, particularly as I said in the early stages of any player coming in which is more on club level very fortunate when we get the players at international level uh, the majority of them are, are there ready to go and, and ready to perform and you don't need to do as much um, technical coaching um, it's more around the, the tactical side of the game and the physical side of the game um, and, and reduces that little bit of time you'd have to spend on the technical details very similar I suppose again to if Gareth Southgate is getting his team he's getting the, the best players that they can go and perform and he's not having to work with with a, a young player to, to develop any sort of technical technical detail yeah I was, I was one thing i was going to say is with with yourself being being fully abled is it a challenge being with um these players when when you're not in the same position as they are or is it just you you looking more at that tactical side of things yeah, most definitely. I think you need to have an appreciation for the skill level and, and actually physically how much they're going through to, to achieve the levels that they are. Um, so I would say that there definitely needs to be a, a, an understanding of that from my perspective, which, as I said earlier, very fortunate. I've had many years working with the players that I would like to think I do understand that. Um, but I mean, in terms of the practices we design and the sessions we deliver and the way we try to play is probably very similar to how I'd play with a mainstream team and my philosophy and my style of play, but there's uh, there's obviously adaptations to that that we take in on board and we take into consideration. And then the last little bit from coaching, um, is it difficult or is it hard? Uh, the one thing that I do is I get the players to demonstrate because if you've seen me on crutches try to use one leg, um, yeah, it's probably not the best sight in the world. So um, I'll, I'll leave it to, to the experts and, and particularly pick players that, that have got the ability to, to do what we're asking them um, in terms of demonstration purposes. Um, and, and that's the way around that, which is a very simplistic approach to kind of doing that. But no, I, th- I think there needs to be an understanding um, of actually whether it's amputee football or any um, any football generally, mm. you need to have that relationship with the players, don't you? And understand their personalities and understand a little bit about them um, to obviously harness that relationship and ensure you get the best out of them. Yeah, of course. I mean, is there a a league as such from where these players um, can progress from to the, the England side? Is there a league across the country? Yes, it is. We've got our Urban Mitchell National League. Uh, again, our Mitchell are solicitors who sponsor the league. And within that league, there's eight different teams. Uh, very fortunately, all those eight teams are linked uh, to professional community clubs. So each uh, professional club in the country has a community department um, that's set up to represent the club, obviously within the community and within that, they, they, they offer some fantastic support. So the four clubs, I suppose, as north as you can get for, for where we are situated in terms of the, the structure of the league. Um, I know one of the clubs is in the Midlands, uh, but we've got Newcastle United that have got a team, uh, Manchester City and Everton. And then you've got West Bromwich Albion in the Midlands. And then you go a little bit down, you've got Peterborough United, Portsmouth, Arsenal, 
and Brighton and Hove Albion. So they're, they're our eight teams. And again, the community departments do some fantastic work to provide coaches and provide regular training sessions for the players, kit and equipment, many bus travel to fixtures. Um, and those players play uh, once or twice a month across the the season um, to obviously compete to decide who the best team is in England. Uh, we've got two different divisions for it. So the, the top division currently has the likes of Everton, Manchester City, uh, Portsmouth and Peterborough uh, United. They're the four teams that are in that top division. So again, I, I go to those games and, and watch the players perform. And, and from there, we usually select our, our pool of England players to go and represent the team at different tournaments or events. Yeah. Go on, in, enlighten me. Who are the, the best club amputee side currently? Currently, um, it's hard to say because I've not actually won it yet, and cool, they, yeah. they, they might not get the opportunity until next year because of everything that's going down. But but Manchester City have formed that formed an exceptional team that pretty much they're starting seven now, and um, is full of England international. So um, from my perspective, it would be a real shock if they weren't to win it. However, within some of those other key teams, Everton, uh, Peterborough and Portsmouth, you've got two or three England internationals who are very, very experienced players within those teams as well, surrounded by some either young talent um, or players that maybe haven't made the England team but are on the fringes and still have uh, high levels of ability. So, yeah, if I was to pick a standout, I would say Manchester City are the strongest team based on the, the starting seven. Um, however, like anything on, on the day, the other three teams would certainly give them a game. Absolutely. If someone's listening to this and would be in a position to play the game, what what is the what is the criteria and and how would be the best way they could go about sort of looking at at playing? Yeah, definitely. And I think the, the key thing just for do that also is to highlight within our league system we've got an inclusive approach to it. So that second tier of the league. Uh, players can wear the prosthesis and players who are upper body amputees or have an upper body limb deficiency, they can play outfield um, and they've got things like minimal touches. They play off depending on their ability. There's a banding system in place for that. But the reason for that is we're aware as a charity, not everybody wants to come and be able to retrain the body to play on crutches. Uh, there's players that, that lose their limbs at 40 years old or 45 years old and they don't have the physical capability to get themselves on a set of crutches mm. to work for a 50 minute game. However, they do have the capability to put the leg on and play. Um, and we don't want to discourage or, or not allow anybody to have that opportunity. So the, the, the sport is open to all. But to go back in terms of if there's somebody that wants to access the sport and how do you get involved and how do you qualify, if you have an amputation and if you have a limb deficiency um, within your remit, um, then, then you qualify to play for the sport. If there's people that are unsure or, well, it's only a small limb deficiency or there's only a little bit of this amputation, the, the best thing to do is ask or even just come along and see it. Um, and again, as, as long as you've got that qualification, we will get you involved. And again, we've had players that, that haven't fit that qualification and criteria, but we'll still get involved in different ways in terms of supporting the league, managing teams involved in, in, in the setup that, that have maybe got a different impairment and that they might not fit into amputee specific, but they've really loved the game and they've really loved everything that's about it. So, um, yeah, my, my key would be if you're an amputee, I have a limb deficiency, check out the website, check out our social feeds, have a watch at the sport. Um, you can actually get in touch with us through the, the website on a contact us page and from there we can direct you to the nearest local opportunity to get involved. Well, I will, uh, I'll certainly link to the, the website and, and the various Twitter feeds um, that join you guys together. One thing that I was going to, to ask about, are you as, a, as an organisation involved in like the Paralympics or the Invictus Games? 
Yeah, it's, it's a great question, one we get all asked frequently. Um, the answer to it in short is no. Uh, the reason for that is the Paralympics um, only have so many team sports involved. Um, and and it's again, it's that, that qualification process of having um, the sport in a very strong place across the globe. Uh, so at the moment, uh, we know, obviously, probably speak from speaking to Dan, uh, the blind team are in the Paralympic Games. So blind football is, is in that as a team sport. Um, and cerebral palsy football was in uh, the Paralympic Games, a team sport. But I think, if I'm right in saying, recently um, has been dropped out of it. So there's, there's a vacancy there or, or there's another sport that's going to come in and uh, claim that team genre, if you will. Um, and it's going to be blind football that kind of sits within that at the moment, despite being many other impairments out there. But the sport of amputee football is working towards Paralympic status. Um, obviously, you can imagine it's a very, uh, I suppose, uh, complex procedure to go through. And the biggest thing is you need every part of the globe on side with the uh, federations and continents built across the world. So within the sport of amputee football is a very strong contingent here in Europe, probably the strongest around the world, if truth be told, in terms of the setup and organisation. Uh, we're supported by UEFA and it's very, very it's going very, very well. Um, you look at some of the other continents, South America's gradually getting there. Um, Africa is again very strong, but then outside of that Asia isn't fully grown yet. You've only got Japan playing the sport over in Asia. Um, so there's areas of the, the globe that, that do need to structurally develop before we can put that, that, I suppose, submit that bid to become any form of interest within the Paralympic status. And then in terms of the Victus Games, uh, we've, we've had open conversation um, and we're very open to work with any and again, any organisation or anybody that wants to get involved and work with us. Uh, again, the reason for that is it's all military-based, the, the Invictus Games. Right. Um, and, and within the sport, um, there's not loads and loads of military, which actually might be quite surprising. Um, and the main reason for, from that is just because there's so many other sports that, that people can go and access that actually might have um, a career attached to it. So again, if you look at the Invictus Games, somebody can go and do um, one athletic competitions and either make a career out for themselves or, or maybe have that little bit more publicity than amputee football might get this moment in time. So that, that's why a lot of people do that, which is which is great and obviously um, the best thing for them at that time. But uh, yeah, in short, because we're not a military-based uh, organisation, um, there's maybe a challenge about directly becoming involved, but we're always, always open to it and we'd love to get involved if the opportunity ever arose. Yeah, well, we'll keep tabs on that, and and likewise, I'll uh, I shall keep tabs on the on the European Championships for next year, um, which I uh, which I'd wish you all the very best for, and I think I'd maybe we can we can speak again ahead of that. Um, you can and let us know how things are are progressing. Yeah, most definitely. Thank you very much, Russell. And as I said, we're, we're on social. We're we're very active on there, so we're we're keeping things. Um, obviously ticking over in the meantime until we can get back to training which we hope will happen in the next few months and really from there people can follow the journey um, from the 12 months from September through to September where we're going to start training um, ahead of the Euros and as I said hopefully achieve that success in the end of it and we'd be delighted to speak again. Well I, uh, I wish you all the very best and uh, yeah I, I thank you very much Owen Coyle Jr head coach of the England amputee football side. Thank you for listening and indeed thank you to Owen there. Really interesting to hear about the amputee side of things. No split loyalties either. He is committed to the cause. And if you are interested, go check him out on Twitter at amputee football or Owen himself 
at Owen Coyle Jr. JNR 96. Or the website, theeafa.co.uk. I'll put all the links on our social channels. Still to come this month, you'll have the last in our series of England at the European Championships. I think I'll put that one out next. And we'll do another listener's first England away game. As I say, I have been recently looking into other England teams. Hopefully, we'll be able to do one of those in the near future as well. If you're new to the show, hello to you. Welcome. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Three Lions Podcast, at Three Lions Podcast. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Instagram. Again, just search Three Lions Podcast. So in the meantime, stay subscribed. Of course, stay safe. And until the next time, cheers. <laughs>